0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now.
2: 210-599-5555. And it is a beautiful morning out there. Don't die right this second, though. Uh, <laughs> Bill, Greg, Vic, and George have already already grabbed the lines. Uh, start off with all the guys uh, this morning. but. Man, if you haven't been outside, you are missing the nicest part of the day. Another cool morning with low humidity. Very, very pleasant temperatures. What a... Gorgeous little stretch of weather this has been. Looks like it's going to continue for at least a few more days. And that's really good news. If you're doing a little vegetable gardening, adding some flowers and color to your landscape, or, gosh, just out shopping for some new houseplants to make the air inside your home cleaner, you know, the EPA has identified indoor air pollution as one of the top health threats in the country with our homes closed up so tightly and uh, you know the all the all the outgassing of formaldehyde and benzene and things like that from the furniture and the particle board and the carpets and everything else uh, you know plants do a better job and this is from NASA, not from me but from the space people, say plants do a better job of cleaning and filtering the air than anything man can make so maybe shop them for a few new house plants uh, anyway, just hope you're going to get out and enjoy this beautiful day and let's find out what some other people are up to. Up first is Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Bob. Good
3: so, morning, sir. You know, the pipeline company is coming to my property, and what they did is uh, they piled up about a six-foot high berms when they dug the right-of-way out or plowed the right-of-way out. Well, what uh-huh. has happened, as you've always said, when you till, you bring up your <laughs> worst weeds, probably. Well, right. I've got... I've, if it was marijuana, I'd be a millionaire overnight, but I've <laughs> got <tucle> birds <laughs> like crazy. I mean, you can't even see the dirt. They're just covered. Well, I right. called uh, the lawyer, and the representative supposed to come out, and... Uh, try to figure out how we're going to eradicate because, you know, once those things have gone to seed, they'll be all over the rest of my pasture and I'll be fighting them for years.
2: Oh, especially if you have cattle or deer and things like that to spread them around. Uh, Been there, done that. So
3: uh, I called my neighbor uh, and he's not necessarily organic, but he recommended a racer if that's what they're going to use. You know, it's a small area. It's about 150 feet wide by like 90 or 100 feet long, and it's just mm-hmm. contained in this one area. They fenced it off, of course, because it's part of their right-of-way. Sure. Uh, would you say, okay, since uh, we're just trying – and I'm I'm sure I'll have to do a couple of sprays, or they will, whoever, whatever the decision is made.
2: Well, I'm never in favor of using toxic products. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they can get in there and shred it down once a month for the next three or four months, and that will – Kill them. That will keep them from going to seed. I mean, they can't let them get up tall. Every time they get up six inches tall, they need to go in and shred them down again. But uh, I, I don't
3: see how they could shred it because it's. I don't. When I'm talking about a berm, you know, there's no way you could get a tractor. I don't know what you would use. You know, unless
4: you used a weed eater, but
3: there's no way they're going to do that either. Well, I'm just saying uh, again. I I would ask the lawyer
2: about that and tell them you. Are free of toxic chemicals. You're proud to be so, and it's their problem. It's not yours. They have created this issue. They're the ones that have to figure out how to solve it, not Bill. And if they have to get in there and do it by hand, like you said, it's not a real big area. If they have to get in there and smooth that berm down, I mean, you can. When they built the the dam on my property, and that's a structure that's uh, over a thousand feet long and sixty feet high, uh, and mm-hmm. they mowed the front and the back of that repeated times, and you know. They have these, if you've ever watched them on the highway, they have these, uh, mowers that are on a mechanical arm. I don't know exactly, I'm sure there are much better ways to describe it, but it's like a, it's a hydraulic system that reaches out and can go even on the steepest hillside. The, the tractor mower portion drives up high and, uh, and this arm reaches over the edge and mows and, uh, like I say, they they have created this problem, and it's not your job to fix it for them. And um, I think you're in a pretty good position, uh, especially since you can tell them that you've not used toxic products on your property for several years and you don't want to start now. That's sure where I'd start. I mean, don't don't okay. give in at the first meeting. I mean, you may... You may end up having to allow them to do something you don't want to do, but I'm going to fight them tooth and nail the whole way because uh, I, you know, this eminent domain business, all this BS that they're, you know, putting out with a lot of our beautiful hill country property, if they're going to create a problem, by gosh, they're going to have to spend the money to fix it. And uh, anyway, that's my two cents worth. Either
3: that or orange oil and 20% vinegar.
2: (laughs) Yes, sir. And that will do it. And. <laughs> you know it uh i am just when somebody creates a big problem i'm not real sympathetic that they have to spend some money and some effort to fix it because they've come in and messed up my land and um i consider that to be you know the most precious resource in the world so um i'm not going to be ugly but i'm going to be very very firm with them and um and you know you might even suggest to your neighbors that they do the same well,
3: <laughs> uh, Now my question on gardening, uh, why is it my cucumbers, and I think everybody has the same problem, you get hundreds of male blooms and already very few female blooms. It just seems like, you know, every time I'm looking, and my cucumbers had not started turning brown like I heard yesterday talking, yep. but why is it that they put out so many male blooms so early and they don't get the females?
2: I think it has to do with the cool nighttime temperatures. I can't really point to, uh, you know, a definitive study that says that, but I know during that week when we, our night temperatures got up high, I started setting a few cucumbers and now they are back to pretty much all male flowers where we're getting these, uh, un, untypical, <laughs> these unusual, yeah. wonderfully cool mornings. I think you're going to see plenty of cucumber set when, uh, the nighttime temperature low is more like the typical 75, 76 degrees than, uh, I mean, two days ago I had 53 at my house and this morning it was in the very low 60s when I left yeah. and, uh, and you know that it's, it's just what cucumbers do when the nights are cool. They somehow figure they're supposed to produce when it gets super warm. And um, you know, let's give it two or three weeks. I'll bet you're going to have more cucumbers than you know what to do with.
3: Well, yeah. Uh, uh, one thing you know, I don't know if anybody, if you've ever, but uh, uh, from the Arnoskis, I bought a, a dasher cucumber, and it was just a tag said hybrid cucumber. Well, the hybrid cucumber. I picked one the other day, and it just reminded me of the kind you get at the store. Really slick skin. <laughs> of course, it didn't have uh, uh, wax on it, but, I mean, it, yeah. it looked just like the kind you buy at the store, and, boy, it was crunchy. So if anybody wants to try a new one other than Poinsett and Straight Eight, uh. I'd
2: recommend those two. They're really good. Oh, listen. They're, yeah, I, I'm sure that's a good cucumber. There are a number of good new cucumbers out there and some good old ones. I still like the Persian Little Fingers, but, oh, I'm trying to remember the, uh, name. There's so many of them out there. But there are a bunch of good, a good new cucumbers and cucumbers are one where you're looking for flavor number one and you're looking for texture number two. And if they've got a, a good taste and good crunch to them, uh, that's about all you can ask for, but uh, I I think you're going to see plenty of them coming on pretty soon. Yeah.
3: My my wife's requirement is little seeds. She can't stand big seeds. Yeah. You know, when you yeah. get them too big. Uh, and, and, and I know you said this here in several uh, shows. Uh, I planted uh, black-eyed peas, and one person said mine are yellow. Well, mine have been yellow for a while, and I know you said they'll eventually turn green. I've been putting them uh, once a week. uh row on them but they still mm-hmm. haven't and i can't you know i went to uh oh john gommel's place and they don't even care green sand or magic sand anymore they said they can't get
5: it so
2: uh, anyway no, just, is that tell them to call adam supply nature's creation is packaging some very good green sand out there and uh it's true magic sand is gone went away with uh when ladybug went away and the new owners of ladybug have chosen not to bring it back i think it was coming out of new jersey or somewhere and they just Mm. don't want to pay the freight to get it down here but uh it's still out there and i have to tell you i've been uh using something called azomite on an experimental basis and i'm real pleased with what that has done in my garden this year and um that might be something. And, again, you get three different forms of it. They can buy it through Adam's Supply. So I know it's out there. And uh, you might try that next time you're preparing the soil for a fall garden or something. It's, uh, I You know, I haven't done side-by-side tests. I simply have been too busy to do, you know, true research where you've only got one variable going. But uh, I'm sure it's partly weather, but I've got the most beautiful garden and the most just across the board, the most beautiful plants I've ever had, whether it's cucumber, squash, squash. Uh, Ochre coming up now, tomatoes eight feet tall, even the indeterminates. And uh, uh, you might try some try some azomite. It's not expensive. And see what you think of it in your garden.
3: Does it come like in a 40-pound bag?
2: It uh, comes in a 40-pound bag. You have three choices. You have a finely powdered, you have a granular, and you have a molasses-coated granular. And uh, I'm using all three and find on all three to work very well.
3: Okay. Where, I mean, will I have to buy that online or have to drive
6: like the Santa Claus? If car? you're
2: at any feed store out there, you know, or nursery anywhere around, they probably buy. Adam's Wholesale is the distributor Adams? of these products, okay. and uh, um, they can certainly buy from them. In fact, they probably already are. If not, they're they're not dealing with the best people around. Okay.
3: All right, Bob. Well, I appreciate your uh, help and uh you have the rest of a good
2: day you do the same bill always a pleasure to how talk you? to you thank you sir yeah. thank you. goodbye Bye-bye. all right chris let's go ahead and talk to greg uh good morning greg good morning bob how are you doing oh it's just a beautiful day and uh wish i was outside looking in instead of the other way around but at least i'm i'm looking at a beautiful garden instead of at the walls of a studio so I, i've got no complaints this morning
7: yeah, that's exactly where I'm standing amongst my crepe myrtles and my vitex right now, with hummingbirds right over my head, blue jays, and
2: yeah, any only thing of, uh... be better to be standing on the edge of a of a good stream <laughs> full of trout with the fly rod in your hand. That's about the only improvement I can think of.
7: Absolutely, uh, I just got a couple of quick questions. Um, yes, sir. One, I've got a Mexican buckeye. It's been in the ground a couple two three years, and it's you know bushy. It's probably seven mm-hmm. by seven, yep. and I'd like to start uh, you know. Trim it up to be more tree like when would be the best time to do that?
2: best time is early, early spring before they start okay. leafing out. They of course are a deciduous okay. tree uh, now okay. they 're going to grow as a big bush. Uh, you can okay. take the lower vegetation off, but you 're never going to make a real tree out of them and you don't really okay. want to because uh I love the name of it. Ugnadia is its botanical name. But uh, you're never going to make a real tree because it's a very brittle wood. And if you okay. try to prune it up, make a single-trunk tree out of it, the first big thunderstorm comes through, it's going to be just a single trunk and not a tree anymore. The top will just snap right out of it. So I kind of treat it like a multi-trunk crepe myrtle. If you'd like, you're welcome to prune it up so that you can uh, plant other things around the base or at least walk around the base. But uh, don't don't try to make it too tree like
7: oh no and that's what i'm looking at is like uh just trim yep. up the bottom a little bit expose yep. Just some of the trunk on, uh, just yep. a foot, maybe two foot off the ground. Nothing, nothing and, crazy. And,
2: so yeah, and you can do that early spring, or actually, if you want to okay. wait and let it bloom, it does have a pretty pink bloom in the spring. You can let it okay. bloom first, and then uh, because it'll bloom and then start making the new growth, and there's a very short time frame between the time the blooms fade and the new growth begins. But uh, okay. uh, if you want to do that, if you're not running in and out of town, because don't want you come in through three weeks after all that new growth has started. But if you can can hive, yeah. so you let it bloom and then prune immediately okay. that's the best of all worlds
7: i'll do that and one last one uh i had a vitex throw a uh throw seed and i don't know how i missed it but here's i'm um, standing next to a vitex it's <laughs> seven 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 feet tall that's it's beautiful and i know yeah. it's not the time of year to move it but when would be the best time to move
2: this deciduous season um, you know when the leaves are off of it Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. And, you know, if it, if what you have is common Vitex, then, you know, that's what you're gonna get from the seed. Vitex have been improved in that there are some varieties out there now like Shoal Creek that bloom more than once in a season. And uh, if that's what the seed came from, well, maybe you get a reblooming one. Maybe you don't. But, uh, I, you know, I'm always, I, I hate to do away with any living, growing plant other than a weed. But uh, if you're looking to plant the best vitex out there, uh, there's some new ones. There's a more compact one out there. There's a pink one. There's a white one. And there is a, uh, a the lavender purple one that does rebloom. But if you're just looking for a big, tough, deer-resistant, drought resistant uh just nothing goes wrong with the shrub uh when the leaves are off of it uh usually november to february you go ahead and dig it and move it and you'll have about a 98 percent chance of success
7: perfect yeah and the one i do have the i'll call it the mother plant is a shoal creek and in okay. fact it's it's just starting to put on its second set of
2: blooms so. <laughs> well it's going to be you know watch watch the offspring there and see if they've inherited okay. that same good characteristic
7: Okay, that just added one quick, quick question. Uh, <laughs> at one of our local nurseries, I noticed a Vitex, and
2: it's got mauve, colored leaves. Do um, you know anything about that one? Is That's probably the one they call beach vitex. Uh, flowers are not as pretty and it certainly doesn't grow as large but it okay. is an attractive, full bushy shrub and it uh, okay. while it doesn't have quite such showy flowers, it certainly inherited the toughness and the drought resistance and that one will actually take a little bit of shade. So like every other sure. plant out there, if you like it, it's a great plant. If you don't, it's a weed. It's, it's an interesting plant. <laughs> it's not yeah, it's gonna it's gonna spread more than grow upright. It's probably gonna top out at about five or six feet, whereas you know my regular vitex, mine are pushing ten to twelve feet. But uh, yeah. if you're looking for some good variety and a tough, hardy plant, then uh, it's a good one to look at. Perfect. Well, I sure appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. You have a great Sunday. Right. Thanks. You too. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you. All right, back to gardening, and uh, I got to get some ladies involved now. It's going to be Vic and George and Donna and Pat. Vic is up next. Good morning, Vic. Good morning, Bob. How you
0: doing?
2: Uh, it's just a beautiful morning. It's uh, uh you know anybody complaining today? We ought to ship them off to a different part of the world. <laughs> yeah, some really of them we ought to do that there. anyway, but we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. What's going on in your world?
0: Well, I'm having a problem with my San Augustine grass. I've been treating it for. I thought it was like brown patch, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's chinch bugs now. It makes circles, and I've looked on uh, on the uh, internet on uh, DirtDoctor.com, and it looks looks the same as as what he claims is chinch bug damage.
2: Are and Are you here in the it. San Antonio, Vic? Yes. Uh huh. Yes. It's possible, but I have to tell you, I don't see many chinch bugs in this area. I see a lot of grub worms and a lot of grub worm damage, but chinch bugs are largely a coastal problem. You see them, golly, you see them everywhere from Corpus to Miami. Uh, we can have them here, uh, when it gets hot and dry, but, uh, in all honesty, my suspicion would be grubworms before it would be chinch bugs. Now, the control is the same. Beneficial nematodes will take care of both grubworms and chinch bugs. The bad news is, especially with grubs, things usually look worse before they start getting better because those little tiny grubs First and second larval instars have eaten a lot of roots off the grass, and there's damage that you're not even seeing yet. So don't expect it to turn around real quickly. I I would suggest fertilizing. I'd suggest a, a thin layer of very well-finished compost. But um, go out and... You know, pull up a piece of the grass and look at it very, very carefully. If you see sections up and down the runners and the blades that just look like the juice has been sucked out of them, could be chinch bugs. The other definitive uh, way to tell chinch bugs, take a, you know, a two, ground, uh, two pound coffee can, Cut both ends out of it and press that down into the soil. Fill it with water. And if you've got chinch bugs, you'll see them come floating up to the surface. They're maybe three-eighths, quarter to three-eighths of an inch long. And um, they're, they're pretty readily identifiable. And the water test will almost always tell you if you're out there. On the other hand, yeah, well, if you... I, I tried that, and I, did, yeah. I didn't see any chinch no, bugs. I'm, bet, I'm betting on
8: worms.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because we there, we did have a lot of June bugs. Yes, sir. Uh, this year, <laughs> I think they're pretty much they would, make like, they yeah. would make a circle like. They make a circle like that.
2: Well, think about it. That kind of leaves, uh, that,
0: a, kind of leaves that, a depression in
2: the ground. Yeah, the uh, the female June bug is not going to be just wandering around at random. Uh, you know, laying eggs. Uh, she's going to be uh-huh. laying a pretty big. Collection of eggs in a very small area, and um, they can be round. They can be irregular. But uh, how how big in diameter are these uh, brown patches?
0: Well, they start out kind of small, about you know, foot and two across, and they just keep keep growing.
2: Yeah, uh, that that sure sounds that sure sounds like uh, grub worms to me, Vic.
0: Okay, all righty. Well, I'll do that. I'll come get some uh, nematodes and and go that route
2: and, and if, next I put, time
0: uh, if i do put compost in these areas and and i know you can't buy real good finished compost if even if it burns the grass a little bit it, it won't kill the grass right It'd oh, be no, no, no it
2: won't it June won't does. kill it but yeah. but what you're probably going to do is end up buying bagged compost you're going to pay uh-huh. you know per volume a little more for it. but you're not going to need much and the stuff in the bags tends to be much more finished than the bulk product that you buy and um uh-huh. I you know I I just get on it when you can and next year now when you see those June bugs I think hey grub worms are coming and put those nematodes out early and we we'll have that conversation in March and we won't be talking about dead grass in June.
0: Yeah okay all righty well I appreciate all the help and uh, always give it good a try always good to talk all to righty. you thank you sir okay, goodbye. Right.
2: All right let's go ahead and talk to George. Good morning George.
6: Good morning Bob how are you.
2: I'm um, well, thank you. How about yourself?
6: Oh, for an old man I'm doing pretty good.
2: Well, that's a that's a state of mind, you know. I have an idea anybody that's active in gardening and interested in what I'm talking about, you know, you may have a few years on you like me, but I'm I'm a long way from being old and hope I stay that way. <laughs> Uh, well, there's an old uh, fellow who wrote a, wrote a hiking guide to the area that I love in Wyoming, and his comment was, uh, we do not stop walking because we grow old. We grow old because we stop walking. So <laughs> anyway, how can I help you this morning?
6: Well, a couple of dumb questions uh, on peaches. Uh, I pulled some peaches off the tree, which I hardly ever do. The family fool, Griffith, and I noticed that there were some black spots around on them, and I didn't know if that was something negative that the peaches shouldn't be eaten, or just disregard it and eat. or
2: I, Well, there's what? nothing on there that's going to be dangerous or pathogenic about some, uh, some brown to black spots. It's probably a little bit of a fungus disease. Do you have any idea what the variety of peach is? No, I don't. Okay, well, Sam Houston, for instance, is very susceptible, you know, to that spotting. Uh, the John Fanick peach is pretty resistant to it. So, doesn't really surprise me. Um, you can always peel them if you want to. And, uh, I think you're gonna find that the damage is pretty much cosmetic on the surface. So, uh, um there there's nothing there that's gonna that's gonna bother you, so as long as the flavor's there as long as they don't uh you know get brown and squishy underneath, which they probably won't then uh, I would just go ahead and uh pick them and enjoy them
6: okay, and then one more question I pulled uh and pulling some off to take to give to somebody I noticed that that uh, uh some of them had chose had ants when I pulled them off. Mm-hmm. And they were small, kind of red and black, if I remember right.
2: Yeah, they're, they're a form of carpenter ant, and they like... Uh nice sweet peaches just like you and i do i remember probably one of my earliest memories in life was walking through my grandfather's peach orchard and he would pick a peach off and put just gently lay it on the ground and roll it along with his foot for 10 feet to get the ants off of it and then put it in the bucket so uh that's kind of common and uh they're just they're just going for a little bite of uh, you know good fresh peach. There's not really anything unnecessarily necessarily spray. If you want to spray the trunk with a little bit of spinosad, a little bit of orange oil, certainly won't hurt anything. But those are not anything to be rushing around getting excited about.
6: Right. Well, would put a little tanglefoot or something like that on it. Be yeah, lady.
2: that's fine. That's that's fine. Now, what can happen with the carpenter ants, especially if you've got any old peach trees, they may actually have a colony in some of the old dead wood in the tree, and that's not at all unusual. So I'm not sure that these ants are crawling up from the ground. They may already have a, a little colony somewhere in that trunk, and in that case, the tanglefoot's foot's not going to help much. But neither is it going to hurt. Now, I don't ever recommend putting tanglefoot foot directly on the bark of the tree because it can cause some deformity i always uh wrap a piece of aluminum foil or a piece of plastic wrap around the trunk and then put my tangled foot on top of that right. and uh sure. none of those bugs are going to walk over it at least not right. more than well, once
6: well this tree's probably been in there 14 years we bought the oh, place no. about five years ago so
2: it's, well it's an old timer yeah, okay. and uh yeah, I can almost bet you those carpenter ants uh, have a colony or two somewhere. Basically, the central core of any woody tree is dead tissue. It's called xylem tissue. The cells have no nuclei. They still translocate water back and forth and store water, but uh they are basically dead wood, and it's not at all uncommon, especially on a 14-year-old peach tree, uh to have a colony or two of the carpenter ants somewhere down in there. In fact, Oh, sometimes a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was cutting a couple of dead limbs out of an old peach that I have, and uh, it seems like two out of three cuts, there was a tunnel and some carpenter ants inside. So I wouldn't be rushing to get the tangle foot. I think they're probably up above anywhere that you're going to put the tangle foot, but they're not going to cause enough damage to worry about.
6: Okay, well, fine. Well, thank you for the information.
2: It's have always a, a pleasure. Enjoy your peaches, George. And if you if you don't like looking at the brown spots, just peel them. Uh, put them in some good fresh vanilla ice cream, or I can think of many many good things to do with a peeled peach. <laughs> yeah, well, <have> <laughs> Pe- peach cobbler's another one high on the list. But you're making me hungry just thinking about it. So you go work in the garden, and I'll keep doing a radio show here. And all right, it's going to be Donna and Pat and Diane and Trey. And Donna's up first. Good morning, Donna. Good
8: morning, Bob. Good morning. Listen, I uh, have some celebrity tomatoes that I noticed that it has some crispy leaves and uh, some webs on it. Which uh-huh. I think it's a red spider, is that correct?
2: That's usually, uh I always like to call them spider mites because spider they're not mites. spiders, they're mites. But uh okay. they just get that name because of that webbing they form, and they are very common. And I'll promise you, with the low humidities that we're having right now, as comfortable as that is for us, Boy, that's a sure sign that you're about to have red spider mite season. So I would get after them if you want to spray to knock the numbers back. A little bit of spinosad will very safely do it. But okay, I should sure get in the habit I, that, of. Sp- that
8: is exactly what I did. I, I mixed spinosad uh-huh. with some seaweed. yeah, And um, and a little bit of Dawn and sprayed yeah. them. And I've been doing it every day. Okay. But I guess my concern is is I've got some cucumbers. That are climbing on the fence next to them. And uh, they look beautiful, but I'm concerned because they're not putting on any cucumbers, so I don't want to kill the bees. And then I'm just. I
2: I would not spray your cucumbers, but I think actually that was the subject of my first call this morning. But uh, the nights are just so cool at this point which is wonderful but i think that's what's causing most everybody's mind included cucumbers to put on still mainly male flowers as the nights warm up we'll start having female flowers and that's when we'll start having cucumbers so um i you know i, I don't think if cucumbers are healthy i don't think you need to worry about spraying okay. them at this okay. point yeah. and since tomatoes are wind pollinated rather than bee pollinated uh bees are not likely to go to your tomatoes and be uh, bothered, so I think you can probably cut back to spraying once a week instead of every day and, uh, you'll get them under control. If you want to put just a very, very small amount of ammonia, in with that spray it'll okay. dissolve those webs and things will look a lot better but you know not not a lot you know maybe a teaspoon per gallon but uh it's <laughs> you just won the blue ribbon if we can say that for maybe it should be a purple heart for the first uh, spider mites in the neighborhood Uh but they're coming in when we have this wonderful dry air that's what spider mites absolutely love so i'm sure i'll be getting lots of calls about that over the next few weeks
8: so, you don't recommend pulling them all up? Just Oh, absolutely not. Them. Okay. Absolutely okay. not. Celebrities are.
2: Yeah. Yeah, celebrities are semi determinant, and they're going to go on setting fruit. Mine are. Man, I'm covered with green tomatoes, and my celebrities are still setting more fruit every day, so I'm not anywhere near pulling those things up.
8: Okay. And uh, so, I'm going to go ahead and do that, and then uh, not spray the cucumbers, and uh, just. Um, Hopefully, <laughs> I'll
2: get rid of them, so. Oh, I think you will.
8: Oh,
6: and if gosh. you're looking okay. for something
2: else to do, plant a fresh crop of, uh, bush beans. My first, uh, plants are about to play out. My second set are up and almost to blooming size. You can plant some more squash if you like. Wash. If you like okay, okra, Yeah, certainly time to get okra in the ground, uh, if you like okra, if you haven't done so already. I can find you plenty of things to do out in the garden other than pulling up good tomatoes.
8: Okay, well, good. I'm going to plant some more squash. The squash uh, borers got the ones I had, which, you know, I just I keep, I'm persistent about it, trying to keep them going, and I guess this time I'm going to go uh, try to inject them with some of the spin sad.
2: Sure works for me.
8: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Have a terrific rest of your day.
2: You do the same, Donna. It's good to talk to you.
8: Thanks. Uh, bye-bye. All right,
2: let's talk to Pat. Good morning, Pat.
9: Good morning. Good morning.
2: Good morning. I
9: have two questions.
2: Okay.
10: One of them is about uh, foxtail fern, and I uh-huh. absolutely love foxtail fern. And I, I had a big pot. I have about four of them in my landscape. And I had uh-huh. one of them in a big, big pot that was in the sun on the front porch last year, and I thought it was getting too root-bound, and so I put that in the ground. It looked great okay. when I put it in the ground. All of them though um, tend to be real leggy, and even the one that was doing good in the pot seems to be. A lot of the fronds are, are brown, and they, they, it's getting sparse. And I and I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I'm fertilizing it. It's getting morning uh, morning sun. So mm-hmm. I and the one that was in the pot at the front was getting full day sun. So uh-huh. I don't know what I'm doing wrong
2: here. Uh, how often are you watering?
10: They're watered uh, uh, by a re- uh, automatic about twice a week.
2: Well, and that's, that's maybe they're not getting quite
11: enough.
2: Oh, no, they're they're not getting enough water. Twice a week <clears throat> is uh, often enough, but I can promise you the water's not getting down. Uh, foxtail fern, of course, is not a fern. It's actually a variety of asparagus. And uh it has a deep root system, and you would have to run that automatic system for two or three hours to really get the water down to the roots. Now, uh always, the more sun they get, the more compact they're going to be. But that browning on foliage and all, That's just a sure sign that they're not getting watered as deeply as they would like. So I would go at least once a week, maybe even twice a week. Excuse me. But, uh, and, and follow up by hand with just a really thorough, deep soaking to get that water down to the roots. And, uh, since you're fertilizing regularly, you should see plenty of new growth coming out very, very quickly there. Foxtail's not really susceptible to any particular insects or disease, but it does want plenty of water. And, uh, like I say, the more sun, the more compact the plants will say. But it's just, it's a very common problem. People relying on a sprinkler to, Uh, do the job of thorough watering. Sprinklers were made to water grass, and unfortunately, trees, shrubs, and foxtails were just not getting the water deeply enough into the ground.
10: Okay, great. That makes sense. In fact, great minds. All right, because yesterday I went and the and the, the, the big one. I, I thought it looked thirsty, so I watered it, watered it, watered it, and it, it just it kind of smiled at me and said thank you. So, uh, really <laughs> well, good. its friends okay. its friends are
2: jealous that they got the water and they didn't. So uh, yeah, yeah, you rectify okay, that situation I'll, today.
10: I will. I will. Okay. Um, one other thing, and this is uh, about nuts edge, and I know you've talked about it before. I had nuts edge in my Asian jasmine, and uh-huh. I, I, uh, I, I put uh, molasses on it I've actually and, and that does work that has worked in other areas, but in this particular mm-hmm. area. It's not. So I did, or I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like use orange oil and vinegar. I'm going to kill because the jasmine is going to come back. I'll kill the nut's edge out. So this is about, a, it's on a slope and it's about three feet wide, maybe about four feet wide, and a pretty significant slope of about maybe eight feet. And so I killed all that in there and and it killed the jasmine, but the nut's edge seems to be thriving. So, well, uh,
2: they'll both come back. That nut's edge is, uh, uh, it's got that little bulb underneath, and one spring is never going to get it. Uh, is your jasmine on the same sprinkler system that uh, that your asparagus was, or is?
10: No, no, they're in totally different areas, but it does get it does get watered.
2: Okay. Well, increase the the length of time that the sprinkler runs in that area, but decrease the frequency. Nutsedge, nutsedge would love to be a swamp plant. It loves it. The more water it gets, the happier it's going to be. And, uh, your jasmine on the other hand, um, it can get by probably with watering once a month once it's established, so you need to water very thoroughly when you water, but reduce the frequency of watering, and I think the jasmine will overtake and eventually choke out the nut edge won't happen overnight, but uh jasmine is stronger, let it get you know don't keep it mowed down too low, let it get it up high enough that it is going to shade the edge combination of less water and more shade uh, that sedge will start to decrease on its own with no further help from you okay good
10: you know and that has worked in other areas this uh area gets a little bit more sun so uh, sure the other. Anyway, okay great well we'll try that then
2: i'll look and, forward to uh, hearing back how it works from you Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat, and goodbye. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Diane and Trey and Joey and Rich, and Diane's up first. Good morning, Diane.
12: Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning. Um, I have some slicing cucumbers, and sometimes they're awful bitter, and sometimes they're really good. Can you mm-hmm. tell me why?
2: Uh, when they get a little bit on the dry side, they get bitter. When they're getting adequate moisture, they're going to be a lot uh, sweeter and a lot less bitter. So, be sure you're watering thoroughly and probably water a little bit more often. My cucumbers are demanding water every two days right now, uh, but if they once they're established, they the plants will survive getting a little bit dry. But boys, sure get lots uh, lots more bitterness in the cucumber. A little bit of it is variety, but most of it is just uh, not as much water as I'd really like.
9: Okay, well, it's and, all and if I for them easy
2: to solve.
12: If I pick them too early, will they be bitter?
2: Um, That really doesn't have a lot to do with it.
12: Okay, so just water them more.
2: Just water them very thoroughly uh you may be watering often enough, but not watering thoroughly enough. You know when it comes to the amount of water you put on, there's no such thing as too much water. You can do it too often, but uh they they have a relatively deep root system, especially if they've been getting a thorough deep soaking from the beginning because that's what develops those deep roots but uh just be sure that you're really, really soaking when you water them and um, you'll start getting better cucumbers almost immediately.
12: Okay, and also I'm looking for a real dark burgundy crepe myrtle. Can you suggest a good one?
2: Uh, Are you talking about color of the leaves or color of the flowers or both? Oh, flowers, flowers. Okay, and um, are you looking for a real tall one or sort of a medium-sized one?
12: Uh, Medium-sized, well, actually tree and shrub both.
2: I'm looking for. Royalty is probably going to be your darkest, and it's one that's going to top out at about six feet. Um, I really don't know a really dark, dark, taller one. I'm sure there may be one out there, but uh, you might call either Mike or Mark Fanick and ask them what they would recommend. Most of the taller ones are sort of a medium lavender to purple color, but uh, for that short one, Royalty is going to be hard to beat.
12: Okay. All right. Thank you so much.
2: You are certainly welcome. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Bye. All right. Trey is
5: up next. Good morning, Trey. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? Um, I've got a few questions for you. Okay. Um, uh, We moved into a new house a couple of years ago, and it was mainly zero-scaped. So there's a few areas uh, where I know that he had grass before one of the areas in the back is about 15 to 20 feet so about five to six weeks ago we put some uh saint augustine there okay and uh we were told to water it frequently like every day for for about two to three weeks and we did and it it uh <clears throat> excuse me did well and then um we decided to go ahead and uh and cut it and uh <clears throat> our landscape guy came in and we just said make sure we told him make sure it's high and i think he did it too low and now it's about half of what it was in in terms of blades, okay. so um trying to figure out how to get it back to where we had it before
2: the fertilizer and water uh, okay if it's if it's been in it's been in what you say several weeks now, maybe a couple of
5: months uh yeah, but about a month and a half.
2: Okay, you can probably, at this point, I might be watering it twice a week. I'll be watering enough to put out at least an inch of water, and you can judge that by putting out some little straight-sided cans and time how long it takes to run that much water in there. But I'd do that, I'd hit it with some good organic fertilizer, and it should, uh, it should come right back out for you. Uh, if you want to give it a little jump start, you could spray a little garret juice out there. You could, uh, put a little bit of, uh, green sand or something like that on it. But the main two things are just fertilizer and water. Stay away from the synthetic stuff. None of the, none of the high number, you know, high burn potential, uh, synthetic fertilizer. But Medina, Nature's Creation, Maestro Go, those are all good organic brands that, uh, um, it would be hard to overdo. If you want the fastest results, you can use a liquid fertilizer and use it every couple of weeks. Otherwise, I just, you know, put the granules on and you're set for at least a couple of months. But at this point, um, <laughs> you might be looking for a new yard man If somebody can't understand something as simple as cut it high, but continue to cut it high because it needs those green blades to uh right. um really make all the sugars it needs to get a good root system and uh st augustine actually uses less water when it's tall than it does when it's short
5: gotcha we've been told that uh a fertilizer that might be good for new grass would be the uh the less nitrogen the like a 15 15 15 is that good advice
2: you've been told wrong and uh It's the source of nitrogen, and anything that has a number that's very high is going to be a synthetic nitrogen, which is going to be what we call an anion, which does not bind to the soil, and your plants probably get about 10% of the nutrition. If you're using an organic fertilizer, the nitrogen is going to be in the form of what we call a cation that binds to the soil, and your plants get 100% of it. You actually get more nitrogen out of a 4% organic fertilizer than a 15% inorganic. And I'm going to get Christian to put you on hold We'll come back after the news and talk a little bit more. South Texas
0: Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
2: All right. We're going to visit a little bit more with Trey, and then we'll move on to Joey and Rich. And um, let's see, after that, it'll be another Pat this time, this time a guy instead of a lady. So uh, let's go back and uh, continue that conversation. Trey, good morning again.
5: Good morning, and, um, okay, uh, follow up on the St. Augustine response you had. You said organic fertilizer. Do you have a recommended brand? You, you know, uh, you there, like?
2: there's several good ones out there. The commercial I just did for Medina, they make one of the best ones out there called Growing Green. They actually make one for us. It has a little bit more greens hand in humates that we call landscape essentials. Uh, Nature's Creation makes a very good organic fertilizer. They call premium lawn food. Uh, difference there. Medina products is based on a poultry litter base. Uh, Nature's Creation is based on, uh, on, uh, soybean and some other sources of nitrogen both of them are excellent uh there's a company called maestro grow that makes a very good one uh, they call the texas T T W E. where on earth gary the master came up with some of the names for his products i don't know but those are probably my top three espoma makes a very good fertilizer but it is a little bit more expensive since it's shipped in from the east coast but uh all of these organic products are would be great things to use and they're certainly no more expensive, in many cases less expensive, and the other thing about them too is that when you're putting on one of the synthetic fertilizers, you get a huge spike of uh, nitrogen right at the beginning, and then it very quickly goes away. When you're using an organic product, you get a long, slow, sustained feeding, and I kind of liken that to uh either having a steak dinner one night and then fasting for five days or having, you know, some good prime or whatever every day of the week. So I I choose organic every time, and uh, I think you'll find it to be – uh, we'll give you the healthiest, uh, not only grass, but on your trees and shrubs and things, so you'll find it to be a real good fertilizer across the board.
5: Okay. Uh, other question I had regards uh, Mexican feather grass. We have a little area in the front that gets morning and midday sun. Pretty much, you know, pretty good sun. Uh, we planted it uh, next to uh, some other uh, drought-resistant flowers, and uh, it did great, and then it just – it, they looked like they just kind of wilted over and – They're gone Um, now. They're in mulch. I've been told I shouldn't have done that in mulch, but I wanted to hear what you had to say about that.
2: Well, you, if you can mulch them, but if you're going to do that, you need to plant them a little high. When you initially plant them, you know, the top of that soil should probably be an inch above the ground around it because if you get any mulch at all piled up on top of them, um, it'll sure do them harm. And I have to say, Mexican feathergrass is one of the wimps of the ornamental grass world. And what you're describing is very common. And uh, they have troubles if they get too dry. They have troubles if they stay too wet and they have a whole lot of trouble you know with some mulch on top of them i know they're very feathery very beautiful but i'm going to choose a miscanthus i'm going to choose uh muley grass uh, uh, mexican feather grass <laughs> it's just a lot of people like it but there's sure some others uh that are a lot easier to grow and establish but i think your your main problem probably centers around too much mulch on the top of it but uh, look around and, uh, and and plant more if you like. Plant it high and uh, watch your watering. You need to water regularly to get it established. After that, it, it certainly is going to have to be watered more often than a lot of your other uh, drought-tolerant natives. But uh, it's, it, it's an okay grass. But I have to tell you, it's not nearly as tough and hardy as something like Gulf Muley or uh, one of the Miscanthus. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Keep me posted on how things do for you. Indeed. Thanks, Drake. Bye. All right, uh, Joey is up next. Good morning, Joey. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? I'm
1: doing well. Say, so I have a few good. quick questions about planting uh, tomato suckers this time of year. Is it? Am okay. I spinning my wheels? Is it too hot for them
2: to survive no. and produce flowers? Or no, not at all. But uh, you have to realize that. Um, your large fruited tomatoes are not going to set fruit. They're going to bloom, but you're not going to get any tomatoes and you're wasting your time with this stuff called blossom set. But, uh, your tomatoes, your large fruited tomatoes are not going to start setting fruit again until the nights cool down. So I typically wait until mid to late July before I start setting out more of the big fruited tomatoes. They can certainly take the heat. Um, I will tell you that when I plant midsummer, I usually plant in an area that has a thin shade cloth, uh, about 30% shade over it, and they seem to take off a little bit faster. But comparing the large fruited varieties to the cherry types, the small fruited ones, cherries don't pay any attention to nighttime temperatures, and uh, they just, you know, I could walk out, I've got four cages of cherry tomatoes, uh, two sun gold, two sweet 100s, and I'll bet you uh, I probably picked a 100 of them of them over the past day or so and i could go out and pick 200 of them today they just go on producing like mad so if you want to plant some more cherries go right ahead and do it if you want to plant some more big fruited ones you can certainly do that but don't expect to be picking tomatoes until probably october
1: i got you so i should just wait and cut the suckers till about
2: july and then plant them and then get some tomatoes around september october then Again, on the big fruited ones, yes. And if yes, you're sir. starting, if you're starting your cuttings, it has to be from indeterminate varieties, right, the vine right. types. Yeah, Tycoon yes, and uh, all these rodeo tomatoes. I wanted to do some. Uh, I wanted to do some beef steaks.
1: I have a few yeah. tomatoes that I really like, and um, <laughs> I like the size. But I just wanted to know if it's going to be too hot or not. I have some yeah. indeterminate cherry tomatoes. I could, um,
2: so I guess I could get some suckers from them and keep those going year round then. Absolutely, well, it's, <laughs> as long as they don't freeze, <laughs> but, right, uh, right, right. no, no tomato stands up to the, you know, real, real chilly weather, but no, uh, well, cherries are like a giant vine. I've been told, I don't remember seeing it, but they say if you gr- drive up the road on the big island of Hawaii up toward the volcano, supposedly somewhere along there, there's a cherry tomato that's two miles long you know, just growing along the road. And it's like a giant vine that just keeps Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going and going and going. So uh, as much as you've got room for it, your cherries will fill it up, and uh, they'll give you good fruit uh, constantly through the summer.
1: Perfect. Thank you. i got one more question. I have a German queen. I have beefsteak German queens, Arkansas travelers. i got a whole variety. And Mm -hmm. I noticed on the German queen, the leaf rolls quite a bit, and the other tomato plants are perfectly fine. Is that... Pretty common with that variety, or am I
2: watering too often, too much? No, uh, it it really doesn't have anything to do that much with watering. It has to do with air air humidities that go up and I down and up and down. A week ago, you know, our humidities were up uh, seventy five to ninety percent, and now they're <laughs> much lower, which is what makes these afternoons so much more comfortable. And uh, it's a normal process for a leaf to kind of roll on itself to cut down what we call the transpirational loss the amount of uh, moisture that is released out through the stomata on the back of the leaves so some varieties much more prone to do that than others but as long as the leaf looks good and green long as you're not seeing any sign of spider mites uh, i wouldn't worry a bit on it and be careful about overdoing it on water on your tomatoes you don't want to let them get bone dry but uh, if you let them get too dry the skin kind of toughens on the tomato and then you give them a thorough right. watering tomato takes up a bunch of uh of moisture in the, in the skin cracking. yeah the skin can't stretch so then you get the cracks and then you got a tomato you better eat it in the next 10 minutes or it's not going to be so good so I you. water water thoroughly when you water and don't let it get too dry between waterings and uh you can, you can make your neighbors jealous. And as I like to say, the barter system is alive and well with a variety of tomatoes you've got. You can probably trade a bag of tomatoes for a cup of coffee or maybe even a light meal. a lot of different places yes, around San Antonio.
1: Yes, sir. Well, I thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
2: Always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this yes, morning. Bye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, yeah, we've got time. Let's go ahead and talk to Rich.
4: Yeah. Good morning, Rich. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Bob. Um, My pleasure. Uh, we've got a, a horse pasture, and the horses can't go out because the mesquite saplings out there have dangerous thorns. The yep. question is how deep, I can go out there with a backhoe, but how mm-hmm. deep do I got to go to get those uh, uh, basil buds on the roots?
2: Um. Well, they're they're actually on the stems, not on the roots. If you went 12 inches, uh, you would almost certainly get it. You would almost certainly get it. But you're going to have to go through with a rock rake or a root plow or something like that and drag that stuff out. Because if you leave very much of those down in the ground, a lot of them are going to regrow and re-sprout. So uh, I don't know whether a backhoe or a root plow or whatever. But if you get down 12 inches, you're pretty much going to eliminate the eliminate the whole thing. That's good
4: to hear. And and they have these like tassels growing on them now. I guess mm-hmm. that's going to be the bean pods. Is that it?
2: Right, right.
4: So they, they're not viable right now. They won't grow, right?
2: Uh, if you cut them off at this point until they form that seed pod and then that seed pod sort of hardens, uh, no, they're not going to have viable seed inside of them.
4: Appreciate that I got another question. Uh, how would I prepare an asparagus bed?
2: Well, you know you realize asparagus is a perennial crop if you uh keep it watered, it will keep producing for years. Um, but I, you know, I I do the same thing I pr- do in preparing for anything else. It's probably not going to find good asparagus plants until about next January, so I'm not going to be putting my fertilizer in quite yet. But I'm going to be adding humates. I'm going to be adding some dry molasses, probably some green sand, probably some lava sand. Uh, I'm experimenting with this material called azomite, and so far I'm pleased with it. And uh, you're going to be be adding probably some compost to it, and then about 30 days before you're ready to plant sometime around Thanksgiving then go in with your fertilizer and uh, you're going to have the best bed prepared in the world for that asparagus.
4: Oh that's great I got one other thing in my uh, had a problem with uh, kissing bugs showing up and I heard you yeah. saying that uh, yeast in water puts off carbon dioxide which is one of the things they're attracted to I believe warmth and light right. also right. Um, So if I put some yeast up, I'm trying to make a uh, distraction, have them go elsewhere, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, what I would do, I'd probably combine your yeast water with a glue trap and uh, see if you can get them to walk across that glue trap because that's as far as they will go. Uh, I'll tell you what I do uh, living in a 110-year-old house they can frequently manage to make it under my door screens and then sometimes under the door and into the kitchen where my puppy dogs sleep. But I just keep a band of diatomaceous earth between the screen door and the wooden door, and uh they can't walk across that without getting it into their joints, which will ultimately kill them, so... There are several things you can do, but, and man, it's really important to, uh, to do that. You know, 20 years ago, probably 5% of the kissing bugs were infected, infle- uh, infected with this bad disease they spread called Chagas disease. Today, thanks to all the central American uh tourists shall we call them moving across South Texas, the infection rate in the Chagas uh in these bugs is probably up around eighty percent, so you do not want to get them uh, after you or after your pets either one but uh so we we don't want to make a trap. we just don't want to make a distraction. We want to find a way to get them and kill' them.
4: yeah uh is there any other kind of spray that would uh, have an aroma that would deter them, you know, like if I spray around this green door?
2: You can try cedar, cedar oil. Uh, the cedar repel by Nature's Creations is a good one, but you'll have to repeat it fairly frequently, and I don't really know. Uh, that would be what I would try if I was going to go with something like that to repel.
4: Yeah, I'm going to use something to wet around the uh, sure. screen door and then throw some diatomaceous earth on there. sure appreciate your help, Bob. Thank you very okay, much. Okay,
2: two two more things I want to back up to. I will put out some beneficial nematodes because uh, I think that while they are down close to soil level, the beneficial nematodes will kill the kissing bugs. And back to the mesquite, if you have any other pastures or where you have some mesquite, uh, leave them alone. Because, you know, the, the problem is the big old mesquite trees, they actually put out something through their roots. It's called a liliopathy. And they put out something through their roots that keeps new mesquites from sprouting. So if you've got a pasture full of a big old mature mesquite trees, you're probably never gonna have any more. But when we go in and cut down those big trees, then we get what you've got, which is that low spiny dangerously thorny mesquite and a lot of Mm -hmm. ranchers have learned to their chagrin that taking out the big old mesquites was one of the worst things they ever did so keep that in mind if you're clearing any more of your pastures
4: yes sir my question is uh, along the fence line we've got a couple of mid-sized mesquites i think they're past the stage of making all the thorns Uh but should they be taken out and do you have to dig deeper for one that's well they're 12 to 15 feet tall
2: No, you'd still if you went down a foot. Uh two things I will tell you the there's if you and this is not worth it for one or two trees, but the company that I talk about that's called the Cedar Eater of Texas, they have a machine, it's called the Grubber, that they bring in that actually latches onto the trunk of that tree and rips it out of the ground, roots and all. And uh unfortunately, doesn't work with that, you know, second-growth, thorny, little brushy mesquite. But if you've ever got a, a, a number, and it, it's a it's fair-sized machine, and it costs them some money to move it around. So uh, it's not worth doing it for just a handful of trees. But if you want somebody to come in and uh, eliminate those mesquites, <laughs> the Cedar Eater does a whole lot more than just cedar. And I will have to admit, it's not organic, but, uh, I, I fight mesquites, uh, courtesy of, uh, an old uncle who thought it was fun to take the mesquite beans from his yard in town and feed it to the cows, who then spread it around a lot of the ranch that I live on. And, uh, if it's places where I'm not concerned about other things around it, when I cut that mesquite back, I will douse the stump with, uh, diesel fuel. I'll follow it up with a little bit of molasses. It cleans up the diesel. Uh, and like i say it's not organic but it's a whole lot better than these brush killers and it does a pretty good job of uh, killing the stump the molasses then cleans up the residue of the diesel and uh so i don't feel as bad about using it but you're never going to find me using remedy or some of these other uh things out there but sometimes um you know extreme problems cause for extreme extreme measures and uh i i root plowing is Probably going to be the best thing you can do or taking it out with a backhoe. But if you ever get a number of mesquites, call the seed eater and talk to them about what they can do for them. And if you occasionally have to resort to putting something stronger on just use straight, it'll do a pretty good job for you.
4: Yeah, my sister-in-law's already bought a gallon of this remedy, and we're trying to uh, have her not to use it. But mm-hmm. We've probably got a couple hundred saplings in this field and yep. I got a backhoe and more time than money, so I'll probably be digging.
2: <laughs> well, stay away from remedy; it's horrible stuff. It will move through the ground some distance. It'll kill your live oaks, and uh you'll notice that on the remedy. You mix it with diesel, and I personally think that the uh, diesel would, by itself, would do a as. Good a job without nearly the toxicity. So mm-hmm. uh, try to mm-hmm. <laughs> try yeah. try to talk her into doing something different. And I uh, wish you good luck on that one.
4: Uh, how many years would remedy stay in the uh, viable in there?
2: Several i i it a lot depends on weather and rainfall, but several years yeah. and uh, the problem is with the rain, it can move it around places you don't want it. A lot of South yeah. Texas has a you know several two or three feet at least of soil sitting on top of a layer of clay. Uh, the toxic stuff like remedy tends to go down until it hits this uh clay layer and then it starts spreading. I looked at, uh, years ago, I looked at some trees over on the property of a large corporation in San Antonio. I won't mention USA by name, but they had used some of this stuff along the fence line, and they wondered why the oak trees were dying 200 feet away from it. So not something I'm going to be using on my property.
4: Yeah, we we got a well, uh, probably poisoned the groundwater, wouldn't it?
2: It depends on the nature of your aquifers, and that's a whole different subject. I can tell you just about anything you want to know about groundwater in the hill country, but I'm not totally conversant in South Texas, but I sure wouldn't want it in my drinking water. Remedy's
4: bad, bad, and we want to be good, good. Thank you, sir.
2: I'm with you 100%, and I appreciate your attitude. Thank you, Pat. All right. Actually, I have one line open. If you've been getting a busy signal, dial quickly. I'm going to talk to Robert, Richard, and Tainer. My next three callers. Robert is up first. Good morning, Robert. Hi, Robert. Hi, peach tree. Hi. I got
3: a peach tree that I bought last summer. Uh, the deer got to it, ate it up. I thought it was completely dead. I never removed it from the ground. It's just now basically the sticks sticking up out of the okay. ground. I noticed that uh, it's starting to grow uh, starting to have some growth form at the at the ground, it's yeah. starting to
7: what what should I do with that
2: cut it off um, it may sprout out further up the trunk, in which case that would be a good thing, and you would let it continue to grow. But all the stuff that's coming out at ground level is actually coming off the rootstock, uh, which is Uh not going to be what you want to have come up. So if you look carefully, you'll be able to see the point at which that peach was actually grafted. And anything that's an inch or more above that, that would be coming from, we call it the scion, the uh, variety that was grafted onto the rootstock, which is probably nemagard or something like that. That's good rootstock, but it doesn't doesn't grow decent fruit. So... um, eating the foliage off uh, doesn't necessarily mean the end of the tree. You can think of it as a severe pruning. And taking off the the stuff growing off the rootstock will increase the chance that you will get some more growth coming off, uh, you know, higher up the trunk, which could lead to kind of a resurgence of life in that tree. But anything that's right at ground level, it needs to go.
7: Oh, it's so
3: dry. It just, the, 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 Trunk itself going up, it's,
2: it's, it just breaks in my hand. Well, maybe time to head over to fanix and get a get a new tree, and to remember <laughs> cool. to put the protection around the day you put it in the ground. Because blasted deer are just uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's a hard experience to learn, and it costs you a few dollars, but you rarely make the same mistake twice.
3: Okay. So just it's it's not worth trying to let that stuff grow up and see what happens
2: then. Uh you could let it grow up and you could spend a hundred dollar regrafting it and uh yeah. <laughs> you'd still be a couple of years behind. For that same hundred bucks you could go out and buy three or four more additional trees and be way, way ahead in the game. That's gonna be the plan. Thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. And what what area are you in?
11: Oh, this is up here at uh in Lake Hills.
2: Okay. Um, Well, you know, remember, don't buy your fruit trees at the box stores because peaches are very sensitive as to the amount of chilling, which is weather below 45 degrees, that it takes for them to bloom and set fruit appropriately. And, uh, my suspicion is you are in about maybe a 650 hour zone, uh, so be careful you don't get something that's too low chill, which will bloom too early and freeze, or something that's too high chill, which will, uh, never bloom for you, uh, buy from somebody that knows peaches, and, uh, we generally recommend Fanix. Those guys have been in business for 80 years selling quality peaches, so, uh, it's not a box store tree or you probably wind up with something that's not going to produce well for you, but, uh, um, I'm afraid this one's going to be, need to be replaced. And do plant too, yeah. because peaches do require cross pollination to produce a, a good fruit crop. Oh, I, I- and I had two of them. The deer got to both of them, totally destroyed them. <laughs> you know, I think I would put venison on the menu this fall. There's some very, very good things that can be done with deer meat. <laughs> and there's a uh, there's a certain no, small you. satisfaction. I You know, I just got tired of hunting a few years uh, back. There just wasn't much sport left in it, but... Uh, I certainly uh certainly think it's one of the cleanest, best lean meats uh that you'll ever have. So uh I certainly don't object to hunting and uh handle that meat properly and it'll be the tastiest thing. And if you if you ever have a chance to get any axis, I'll tell you the best chicken fried steak I've had in my life was Axis steak. So you can get back at them. They eat your plants, you eat <laughs> them. <up. laughs> All right. Thank you very much, man. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Let's talk to Richard Dex. Good morning, Richard. Hi, Richard. Yeah, just fine. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Um, I have a zoysia
3: yard, and uh, I thought it was doing really well. All of a sudden, I started seeing these really dry-looking patches, and I thought it was still getting a lot of water, but uh, these patches seem to keep growing. So I've come to the conclusion I guess I have brown
2: patch. Does that sound... Does that sound logical to you at this time, right now? Which, which, uh, variety of Zoise is it? Is it Jammer? Um, it's the, more, yeah, the yeah, one, one that one looks more
3: like carpet grass, I guess.
2: Yeah, uh, that is the most brown patch susceptible grass in the world. I do not like that grass. I do not re- recommend that one because it is so brown patch susceptible. Chances are the weather's going to control brown patch for you because brown patch is uh, a disease of cooler nights and warmer days. If you want to go ahead and put some cornmeal on, this will grow the trichoderma. This will, uh, um... This will help you get past it more quickly. But, uh, boy, if you ever plant any more, uh, zoish, you plant emerald, plant el toro. There's some good zoysias out there, but in my opinion, jammer is not one of them. So don't plant any more oh. of it. But yeah, it probably is brown patch. Uh, I'd do some cornmeal, but I would also, uh, put on some good fertilizer, uh, certainly organic only because synthetic fertilizers tend to encourage brown patch. And, um, I just call it a lesson learned and, uh, <laughs> Uh, how since much, you have how thick do you, how thick do you put the um uh cornmeal on? Just probably I probably about spreader Is that a, uh set your spreader about one third open, about the same uh okay. same way you'd put out your fertilizer. And since you have had brown patch this year, do it preemptively. Put some brown patch or put some uh, cornmeal out to stop the brown patch about late September, early October next year, and hopefully you can stop it before it ever gets started. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks much. South
0: Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
2: All right. Well,. And, you know, Chris and I just, we do this back and forth uh, through texting and talking. Uh, he's telling me we have two open lines, and actually our only two holding callers are Tana and Kay. So if you are getting busy, signal, be a real good time to dial 210-599-5555. And in the meantime, he will push a button at the studio, and I'll say good morning, Tana. Hey, good morning, sir. Good morning. Okay,
13: two subjects, cactus pads and tomatoes.
2: That's uh, distantly related things. <laughs> <laughs>
13: if I if I remember correctly, to get rid of cactus pads easily, you break them off,
2: stack them, and pour diesel on them. No, 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 cactus pads. You can. Uh, you need to break them free from the soil, and you do uh-huh. pile them. But what you put on them is molasses. Uh, molasses. Yeah, they will rot away. They will turn to mush very, very quickly and cacti do not resprout from the roots. But if you leave the pads lying around, every single pad will make a you know, will make a new plant. But as long as you break them free at, at ground level, then uh you are rid of the base plant, so to speak, and molasses uh and I dilute it no oh, pretty much like half and half with water because you want to put it on pretty pretty strong, but it will just turn that cactus to mush and it'll it'll go away.
13: Okay, good deal. Well, I have a son who is in the process of wanting to clear some stuff.
2: Uh-huh.
14: And
13: I told him, make sure you get rid of all of the prickly pear because if you <laughs> leave a pad on the ground, it's going to grow into another cluster. And he yes. said he had to get rid of them. I said, well, if you want to invest in a really expensive flamethrower, You could probably do that. Well, um, and
2: and that's what some people do is uh, they call it a a pear burner, and they just burn the spines off of it, and then goats will eat it, cattle will eat it, anything will eat it down. The problem is it's so tasty and good that then they start wanting to eat it with the spine still on it, and that, of course, is a little bit hard on uh, on the cow or the goat. So, yeah, it's, uh, again... Uh If you've just got a small area uh you know chain mail and a uh, grubbing hoe will do the job but uh in general, you know a skid steer bobcat something like that uh you don't have to dig it up; you just have to cut it off at ground level and it will not resprout
13: well it's It's full of uh what volunteer um, mesquite and trickly pear, and there's some darned strawberry cactus out there too. <laughs>
2: well (laughs) there's a lot of things now by strawberry cacti are you talking about what they call the pitaya that make that wonderful tasty delicious little red fruit on them a little tiny red fruit Oh okay, no that's something different that's what they call um wahi or something like that it's uh oh okay yeah it's those those are nasty, and they break into uh into yeah. segments in every single one of those yeah, those I hate those a lot more than I do the others. but there is a bigger cactus that is actually uh oh. uh more like a barrel cactus that has uh that has a a fruit that looks kind of like strawberries and it's one of the most delicious things you've ever eaten, and the spine' is just brush off when it's ripe you're taking me back to my black gap management area <laughs> days but no that little uh that little toss heel i think that's what they call the other one but boy that's a nasty mm. thing to get rid of yeah
13: yeah well i was just calling it what the neighbor about
2: <laughs> two acres <laughs> Down yeah, the that's the problem it. with common names is, uh, and then, you know, me, I have to, when I'm buying plants, I unfortunately have to remember all the technical names because if I just order, uh, creeping Charlie or wandering Jew, I may get 20 different plants that I didn't want. So, uh, but yeah, no, that's, I know what you're talking about. And that's another one. In fact, I get rid of that. I'm much more concerned about getting rid of that than I am about the prickly pear.
13: Okay, well, I'll let him know I have cautioned about a part of it that's growing on his uh the back part of his front yard, and he hasn't gotten to that yet. I' see if I can get a fire burned under him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not going okay. down that road sometimes it's easier than others <laughs> but, yeah uh, that that's a that's a family matter that I'll let you guys handle
13: <laughs> okay, good on you <laughs> so um. My okay, when I moved back out here, when I moved out here, I planted a bur oak and some montezumas, um, oh, the, the white oak, Monterey cypress, yeah.
2: Monterey, Monterey cypress, oak,
13: Monterey oak, yeah. yeah, and um some, you know, a couple of others, but mm-hmm. now, uh, I have encroaching shade so i was thinking about um container grown tomatoes uh huh what variety other than patio would mm-hmm. you recommend for container grown
2: well i think the i think the container is more important than the tomato and that means big and, uh, cause I'd be getting, you know, talk to your rancher friends and get one of those molasses tubs or something like that. And when you're doing that, you plant the same varieties that you plant in the ground. I'm, I'm not real fond of any of these little short determinant tomatoes because I don't like to eat tomatoes one at a time. I like to, you know, almost make your mouth <laughs> raw eating tomatoes. And, uh, so I'd just be looking for bigger containers and then I'd plant all the ones that you normally put in the ground. And, uh, uh, you know, depending on the variety, you can put as many as three plants to uh, one big container and uh, you grow beautiful ones. You may have to get up on a stepladder to pick the fruit, but uh, um, I, I think you're much better doing that than going with smaller containers and little dwarf varieties.
13: Well, the the problem is I would have to move it.
2: Um, mm-hmm. So
13: i thought five gallons. Would that be large
2: enough for a tomato? Uh, very minimal, and you're not going to get much other than patios, or there are a couple other little small ones. But again, um,
13: okay, so I,
2: yeah, I'm looking at <laughs> yeah, 15 gallon minimum whiskey barrel size better, molasses tub size better, and uh, get uh, get that young man to build you, or go out and, in effect. Uh, you know, just make a little square trolley that you can put your bigger container on top of, uh, that you can roll it around. I mean, they make things you move pianos with. Uh, and I would be, I would be much more comfortable with you getting a bigger pot and having a mechanical way to move it. Uh, cause I know as much as you love tomatoes and as much as you love gardening, you're gonna get very frustrated trying to grow good tomatoes in something as small as a five gallon container.
13: Okay. Well I thank you for the recommendations and suggestions.
2: <laughs> well, it is always a pleasure talking to you, Dana. Let me know what you decide on. Okay. Bye. All right. Back to gardening and uh back to the phone lines. It's gonna be Kay and let's see, it's gonna be yeah, you know, Kay and Pam and Paul will be my next three callers. Good morning, Kay. Good morning.
12: Good morning. Hey, I had a big tree taken down. And the tree cutters gouged out and rutted my yard, as well as my neighbors. So do I fill those ruts in with compost?
2: I don't think compost is really going to do the job because compost is going to rot away over time. I'd want something that actually has a little bit of uh, soil to it. I'd be looking for garden soil or something like that. I would get a good pasteurized material that is weed-free. But uh, if those ruts are two inches deep, yeah, compost would do the job for you. If they're much deeper than that, I think garden soil would be a better choice.
12: So something like, I know Top Shelf has garden soil, right?
2: Mm-hmm. So does Nature's Creation and uh but uh, in both, you know, both cases, it's it's a good quality material. And how how big an area we're talking? How much rutting did they do?
5: Uh,
12: well, it's mainly uh, has to do with mowing. Like he's in his eighties, so you don't want him bumping across this. And it's <laughs> I, I would have not. to get. Um, several bags, like maybe ten bags or six bags or something like that.
2: Well, I would express my dissatisfaction with the tree trimmer and tell him that he can bring me some bags, specify that you want nature's creation or ladybug, whichever one. But I'd start out asking somebody else to foot the bill. But uh Yeah,
12: he he's already said that he'd be glad to bring me dirt if but I would pay for it. So I'm not I don't want him back on my
2: property. <laughs> I um, certainly sympathize with that, but no, it's not gonna take that much and if you want to extend it a little bit, you can take one of the garden soils and mix a bit of compost with it, but compost alone I don't think is gonna give you a long term solution to the problem.
12: Okay. So you wouldn't get any like Cheap dirt from just uh the lumber yard or something, right?
2: Um I always worry about weeds. And uh okay. my old friend Alton Grimm used to tell me he said I would worry about any plain dirt that didn't have some weeds in it and uh um, Oh you <laughs> Both know, ways, if, if right? I were <laughs> Yeah. If I were looking to save um you know, save on it and uh uh, especially if you have a friend with a pickup truck, you can go somewhere like Stone and Soil Depot and I think they will still let you fill your own containers. You can take a couple of 15 gallon buckets out there and, uh, fill them with soil and, and haul them yourself and, you know, that, that's very, very little money and, um, and certainly a much better quality soil if you get something like their garden soil. But, but price it out. Again, you can buy a foot, foot and a half cubic, uh, bags. And uh, I think it's, well, they can't see your yard, but you're not going to have to have a whole lot uh, to get this level enough for somebody to mow comfortably.
12: All right. Okay. Thank you so much.
2: That's my pleasure. Thank you for the call, Okay. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, Next up is going to be Pam. Good morning, Pam, and then Paul. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Uh, It's just a beautiful day out there. Anybody complaining about this day needs to go somewhere else. I completely agree. I just a had long a way away. <laughs>
8: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, for, you're right. Uh, I just had a quick question. I had uh, uh, several flower beds full of begonias that were gorgeous before the hailstorm a couple weeks ago. Um, you know the and feeling. they kind of got, yeah, they got kind of uh, traumatized, sliced. Uh, so my question is, is do I cut those down and let them recover? Will they recover? What is your suggestion? Do I just take them out and replant something else?
2: Well, it kind of depends on how severe the damage was. Here at the nursery, we would just gotten, um, you know, uh, several flats of begonias, and what we had to do was just go through and pick out the plants that still had, you know, some good stems and leaves on them, and then the rest of them had to go into the dumpster. Um, If I would, you know you you can't cut them back to nothing and expect them to come back if they mm-hmm. have as much as a third of the plant left that they still have some good leaves on it uh, there's a good chance that they will regrow and fill them very nicely with just a little bit of good organic fertilizer but if uh you know the plant's 80% gone and the remaining stem is broken or cracked uh, you probably will need to, to simply replace them, but you just, since it's been a couple of weeks, it's pretty easy to tell now which ones are badly damaged and which ones, in fact, they ought to be starting to put on some new growth already, but, mm-hmm. uh, the hail just, just messed things up and begonias are unfortunately one of the ones that suffers the most, so it's gonna be, uh, a problem of get out there and just go through plant by plant and say, nah, you gotta go, you can stay. The other thing I would do is I would find some. Try to find some good new plants before you really start on this because begonias, good quality begonias in pretty short supply right now. I'm having to look and look and still not finding everything I'd like to have. So don't make the mistake of pulling out all the broken ones and then finding out you can't get any replacements. If you can't get the replacements, yeah. I'd fertilize pretty heavily and go with what you have. My guess is that if you're like most of the area around, it's going to be about 30% of them have to go. The others will regrow.
8: Okay, very good. Well, I bought the original ones from you at, at a shade of green, so they yeah. were very healthy. We, we so.
2: appreciate that, and we we have some, but come check and see if uh, the colors are there, because I just refuse to buy junk, and right now it's it's getting tougher and tougher to find really good quality plants because it's been such a busy year and the growers by now usually they're cutting way back on what they produce and our business at least is still going gangbusters and I drive usually several hundred miles a week out on the road looking at plants to bring in here so hope we have what you need if you need more but even more I hope that you find they're not as bad as you think and uh, that they do because if they have the roots established begonias will regrow quickly at this point i would probably be going with a liquid has to grow plant fertilizer or something like that, uh, as opposed to dry because the liquids are always faster acting. And uh, remember, they still have a pretty good root system, and if they have much in the way of foliage left on them at all, they have the potential to regrow quickly.
8: Excellent. Can you tell me again the name of the liquid that you just mentioned?
2: The one we use on just about everything is has to grow plant it's by that's Medina. That's Medina makes one called Has to Grow Plant and Has to Grow Lawn. The lawn is for grass only. Uh, I just might happen to know that you should never spray it around tomato plants or you don't get good results. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, has to, has to Grow Plant is the form that you want. The others good fertilize for, for grass, but it's too strong for begonias and most other things. Very good. Thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you, goodbye.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210 5555
2: All right, back to gardening on an absolutely beautiful South Texas Sunday morning, and uh, thanks so much for joining me. It's always so much fun visiting with people that love being out outdoors, love growing their plants, and uh, it's just my great pleasure to be here talking with you. We are going to uh, be doing this for another hour, and then we'll be talking with Dr. Kirby. So it's going to be Kim and Greg and Brian and Eunice, and uh, Kim is up first. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Um, Good I
9: have morning. a couple of questions. Good. One is I have blight, and I think I even called you about it. I've pulled one of my tomatoes from a small um, yard, so I don't have a lot of space, and Mm -hmm. therefore I don't don't have the, uh, you know, um, ability to, like, rotate as, you know, much as they say you should. What can I do to prepare the soil for next year so that maybe I won't? Have this problem again.
2: Well, it's, it's not something that I would recommend that you do way in advance of, uh, planting or anything. What I do when I set out tomatoes is simply sprinkle a couple of handfuls, probably the equivalent of a cup of cornmeal. I just sprinkle it on the ground around my tomatoes when I set them out because the most common way that early blight gets spread is either through rain or watering. It gets splashed up out of the soil onto the foliage of your plants. The cornmeal, of course, is, is not the cornmeal that's magical, but the cornmeal grows a beneficial fungus called trichoderma, which in turn will destroy I the uh, early blight spores in the soil and will normally take care of an early blight infection on your plants so for now I would uh, and if your plants if you have any good healthy green growth up on top soak some whole ground cornmeal in water and use that to spray the plants and lots of times you can arrest and stop that early blight but what I do to okay. minimize it and I think we all get a little bit of it but to minimize it just uh, be sure you get that get it down on the surface of the soil at the time you're planting your plants
9: Okay, um, so it wouldn't help to, to to put that down now so that it wasn't even in the soil when I planted?
2: Well, it would help, but I would not tell you that it's totally necessary. And if I put it down now, I would definitely do it again, you know, at planting time. Because these spores also float through the air, they get transferred around on the feet of everything from lizards to larger creatures. So eliminating from your soil now does not mean that it will be totally gone next year or next season. Uh, We'll be planting fall tomatoes here in about another month. But uh, it wouldn't hurt to do it now, but I would certainly do it again whenever you set out your next crop of tomatoes.
9: Okay. And I have an antique rose that has always had black spot, but it's always, Mm -hmm. you know, made Made it through. I've done the cornmeal drench and, and watered it with that. And, yep. um, this year it was beautiful in March. Um, and then it's like I have dieback, like serious. I just mm. cut out probably a third of the, it's a climbing rose, a third of yep. it. And, um, yep. it doesn't look very healthy. Like even the part that has the leaves, like there's spots on it, almost like it's, it's going to die as well. Is there something I can do for that?
2: Well, I would do the same thing. I, you know, four or five times a year, I would put the cornmeal on the ground at the base of the plant. There's some roses, you know, there are thousands of rose varieties, and uh, um, there, there are a lot of antiques that simply don't do well here. A lot of the uh, bourbons and all are just, unfortunately, they're beautiful in some areas, but uh, just not real suitable for San Antonio. So I'd I'd be very selective in what you plant, and be be sure they're in full sun. Be sure you're using only organic fertilizers. And once again i try to I try to throw uh cornmeal four or five times a year, just go out there and fling a couple of cups of it on the on the soil at the base of the plants but uh there are some that just are inherently susceptible to it, and uh, uh it's best just to just to stay away from them and I know the the folks over at the Antique Rose Emporium can point you in the right direction there. They grow some varieties that I would choose not to grow in the hill country, but they sell over such a large area, you know, that they may be right. just because you get it from them doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be the best rose in Austin for you. But
9: right. Um, it is one that grow. Uh, and um, I don't know. I'm in Austin and I'm on I thirty five, so I'm sort of in between Blackland Prairie and the Hill Country. So I have a little bit of clay, a little right. bit of both. Um, yeah, but it has always struggled with black spot, and I didn't know yeah. if the, if that could like is that what's killing it?
2: It's weakening it. Um, it's hard to say. They get that uh, that sort of dieback in the stems, which sometimes is a different fungus that uh, is actually a, not cottony or not powdery, but a downy mildew that can affect the the root system of the plants. And the cormia will help okay. with that. But uh, black spot is rarely fatal, but it certainly distorts the foliage and weakens the plant. If you've got a lot of dieback going on, you've probably got something else going on with the roots of the plant, and it's probably <laughs> just not a real good variety of rose for Austin.
9: So they would be able to tell me what are good for this area since like I oh, I absolutely. bought it at a nursery, but I I I know they grew it.
2: Yeah. Um I, you know, they, they would certainly be able to tell you. Uh Mike Shupe, who owns the Antique Rose Emporium, he's actually bred a series of roses himself that he calls the pioneer roses. And uh, mm-hmm. I've got two or three of them in my garden, and they are the most dependable, hardy, trouble-free roses I have ever grown. And so you might look at his list of uh, what he calls the pioneer roses. Mine is, yeah. uh, oh gosh, I'll have to think for a second. Uh but anyway, it's uh, it has been an outstanding rose for me. It, and now this is a bush, not a climber. But I think he's probably got some climbers in his Pioneer series. But uh, they are uh, uh, Thomas Affleck uh, finally came to yeah, me here. Yeah, I have, Thomas I have that word. Yeah, and uh, but that's uh, they. There are some roses that are tough and trouble free, and there's some others that just come with problems that in a different part of the South they might do absolutely beautifully, but they're just not happy in this part of Texas. So I say, if you're not happy here, go somewhere else, and I'll plant one of the varieties (laughs) that is happy here.
9: Okay, thank you so much.
2: Always a pleasure, Kev. Good to talk to you. And uh, do, you know, do go ahead and get ready. I hate to see you say wait till next year because typically we can grow some really good tomatoes in the fall. So uh, plan on getting some planted uh, late July, probably about the time that you can plant, uh, get a good crop of both cherries and big-fruited ones. So let me know how you do with them.
9: Okay, great. Thank you.
2: My pleasure. Thank you. All right, uh, let's talk next to, uh, I believe Greg is up next. Uh, Let's talk to Greg. How are you this morning, sir? I'm great. Hey,
7: so I've got about a three-month-old St. Augustine lawn, Uh full sun. Uh, Parts of it are growing wonderfully. Other parts are staying green but not actively growing. And I've had some people come out and they say the soil is just ultra-compacted, and it's pretty darn hard. Uh, I've aerated. I've thrown down compost. I've has to grow down medina plus not having any luck what would you suggest shady
2: shady area or sunny area no full sun okay um and do you water by hand with the sprinkler system how's your watering done sprinkler okay i would first of all if you haven't already done this put out some little shallow uh containers run that system and see how even your coverage is uh A lot of sprinkler systems, you'll find that in the space of 10 feet, when that sprinkler system runs, it's putting out an inch of water in one area and a quarter of an inch in another area. So I'm always suspicious that the areas that are not growing as well, even though the sprinkler runs, they're not getting as much moisture. So that's where I would start. Now, did you roll the grass when you put it down? They did not okay see this is one of the biggest mistakes out there because when you're rolling the grass you're not trying to level it but you're pressing the air pockets out between the new sod and the soil underneath and if there's even a small air pocket left under there It'll take a lot longer for the roots to get established on that. And sometimes you'll actually end up with some pieces of sod that die completely because those roots just don't go through down through that little airspace. It's uh, too late to, to roll at this point, but it may be that that is what's responsible for the fact and quite likely is what's responsible for the fact that some areas are taking off and growing better than others. And at this point, you need to apply that stuff called patience, which is extremely hard. For when <laughs> you're trying to get a beautiful new area of grass growing, but I suspect that has a lot to do with that. I would check to be sure you're getting watered evenly, but it sounds like you're doing everything else right now. I think mechanical aeration is a waste of time, uh, but uh, because you get basically the same effect when you're putting down the compost when you're using organic fertilizers without nearly the physical disruption, but um, you've done both. You've fertilized. Uh, check your watering. I think you're doing everything right, but my suspicion is that some of the areas are just having to struggle a little bit more to get their roots established because there were little air pockets between the new sod and the soil underneath so your soil will soften naturally over time but good st augustine can grow in black clay which just gets hard as a rock when it dries out so i doubt if the soil's really the problem i think you, you'll overcome it pretty well without doing any more than you're doing now but if you ever plant more grass absolutely insist on rolling it
7: Okay one one real quick thing. Other areas that are growing well, are, it's not emerald green. It's it's a pale green to almost a yellow. Do you recommend ironite or what do you recommend?
2: No, ironite's made from uh, mine tailings, which is pretty nasty stuff. Um, uh, I would use if you want to use the the lack of dark green can be lack of nitrogen, lack of iron, lack of magnesium. I would put out some green sand. Um, I would. You know, fertilize. Uh, I'd, I'd put down some dry granular fertilizer like Medina's Growing Green or Nature's Creations uh, Premium Lawn Food, and uh, then I would probably follow it up with uh, some sort of liquid fertilizer as well. But again, some of this coloration can be from uh, just the roots getting a little bit slower to get established. So uh, six weeks from now, I think things are going to look very different. So the has to
7: grow lawn spray, that's good?
2: Ah, That's fine. It's uh, pretty strong. Be sure, if I'm using has-to-grow lawn, I'm going to put that down, and in this case, I'm going to follow up with some additional water on top of it. Gotcha. Okie dokie. Well, thanks. Report back to me how it does. I'll really look forward to hearing from you. Okay. All right, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Brian and Eunice and Mike and Howard, and Brian is next. Good morning, Brian
11: hey good morning Bob been a while to talk to you come on now, down down Magnolia, where I live now got a question about planting hydrangeas I rescued a couple from the grocery store the other day and <laughs> okay. they're not looking too good but wanted to get your uh, your take
2: well they're never going to look like they do in San Francisco or in uh, you know Alabama or somewhere like that but they're and realize there are several kinds of hydrangeas and anybody is out there thinking about purchasing hydrangeas there are some of them they're not as showy as what you have gotten that are called the oak leaf hydrangeas that are actually very good plants for this area the floral hydrangeas hydrangeas like you have rescued uh, they are among the showiest prettiest things you would ever plant but the two things that they require well three things they require shade rich soil and copious amounts of water they're going to take they're going to have to be watered three times as often as probably everything else in your landscape you're going to want to work a lot of compost in when you plant them and little morning sun is fine but absolutely no hot afternoon sun now if you're able to follow those three things uh, they're going to give you some of the showiest flowers you've ever seen. They're always going to be white or pink to a sort of a rosy color. had somebody in the nursery yesterday wanting those blue hydrangeas like they'd seen somewhere in our alkaline soils. That's just not going to happen. But the pinks and whites, uh, with <laughs> adequate water, with good soil, um, they'll make an, an absolutely beautiful uh, low shrub for you. They're going to freeze back partially in the winter months. And, uh, uh, hopefully, people are going to think that they've been transported uh, into the deep south or something when they see them. But, but those three things shade, rich soil, copious watering, and, and fertilizing as well, and you'll do just fine with them.
11: All right. Number two, I heard a complaint I just to make a comment of somebody cutting down uh, cacti, um, the Prickly uh-huh. Paris. If if my memory serves me correctly, if, if my mouth is is also correct, that's just uh, uh, you know you could be saying if you go with a knife, uh, you got some onions and garlic, and about an hour's time you you got nopales, and that's an excellent excellent use <laughs> of those, uh, for
2: those cactus that are unwanted. Oh yeah, the nopales are. Uh are are absolutely delicious i've even had a uh, cactus margarita or two in my life which was quite tasty but uh the farmer or rancher that's wanting to turn his goats and cattle and horses out onto those things don't seem to be nearly as tolerant of uh that but again you're talking to a guy who spent parts of three summers in a wildlife management area and uh we we all became sticker pickers periodically chasing stuff through the cacti, but they're like everything else out there. They have their place, and uh, if they're not where you want them, they're a weed, and I just want people to deal with that with the least toxic method possible. But I'm with you, Nopalis, and uh, there's some good things about cactus as well.
11: Absolutely, Bob. Last thing, uh, how often do you t- change out your orchid soil, or how, how often do I need to be doing that?
2: On most of the orchids that I grow are epiphytes, uh, mainly Catleas, Dendrobiums, Vandas, things like that. The Vandas, they don't have in soil at all. They're just growing in teakwood baskets. Catleas, um... I, uh, with a Catlia, I do it when they outgrow the pots, which is about every two years. With the monopodial types like Phalaenopsis that are, you know, going to stay in the same size pot for an extended period of time, I just judge by the breakdown. If I'm lucky, I'll get three years, but every now and then a batch of bark that breaks down a little bit more quickly, in which case I'll uh, figure I'm repotting every two years. So, um, long answer to short question, every two to three years based on the condition of the medium they're growing in.
11: That uh, will do me for today, Bob. Always enjoy the show. Thanks a bunch.
2: I appreciate the call. You have a great day, Brian. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, Eunice is up next. Good morning, Eunice. Hey, Bob. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank
14: you um, for calling. Yeah, well, just as a little note, I have a special clock radio in my bedroom, which I have set to go off uh, on radio form Saturday and Sunday, says so I catch you before I even Well, I'm, even I'm, t- out of I'm bed. told I,
2: I wake up with the best women in South Texas, so I'm glad you're one of them.
14: <laughs> yeah, I am. Thank you. Okay, I have a. I originally from New York, moved to South Carolina for ten years, where I had mm-hmm. wonderful soil. Uh, I could use a spoon in South Carolina to to plant anything. Here, I have a small backyard, really small, fenced in, and I ha- I love. All different kinds of plants. I have, uh, I have flamingo. I have pride of Barbados. Um, I have some uh, trailing lantana, salvia. I have a lot of potted plants. I have a couple of tumeria that I had brought back from Hawaii. Uh-huh. And then I, and then, I put in Mexican honeysuckle. <laughs>
7: okay. I
9: didn't.
14: Yeah, I had no idea. They were really pretty. They attract. I try to get things that attract butterflies and and, uh, hummingbirds and stuff. And this attracted hummingbirds. I thought, wonderful. The darn thing thinks it's the boss of the yard. Well, it's not (laughs) anymore. uh, I put in one plant, and it grew to like, it kept growing, Uh uh, edging along, killing other things. And it was like 12, 14 feet long. And it would uh, uh, come out into the middle of the yard. I would trim it back every year. It would come back bigger than the last year. This year, I said, that's it. You're done. I cut it right to the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, I had tried pulling out some of them, but the the roots are terrible. Uh, when we had a couple of really hard rains a few wo- months back, <laughs> I would try pulling them out, and it wasn't mm-hmm. too successful. So I just cut them right down to the ground. Uh, I have sprayed the roots with uh, the vinegar or orange oil, and I mm-hmm. have covered them with black plastic. Uh, they're going to stay that way for as long as I need to. Uh, How long do you think, uh, will it ever get to the point where I will be able to pull those roots out? I mean, in the meantime, I'll just, yeah.
2: Yeah, you will kill them. You don't need to get the roots out. And I think what you've got is Mexican hydrangea, not Mexican uh, honeysuckle. The so-called Mexican honeysuckle is... uh, Pretty well-behaved little plant, but the so-called oh, Mexican okay. hydrangea, which is a claridendron, um, yeah. People move to get away from that stuff, but
14: yeah, um, the little,
2: the, yeah, black the black,
14: orange flowers.
2: Yeah, the uh, the black plastic. I would leave it on for six weeks of hot weather. And, uh, okay. who knows when that's gonna come. It, you know, part of me is glad to see the heat for things that we need to solarize, but the other part of me is, uh, sure enjoying these cool mornings. What I would do, I would leave it on for about six weeks and then I would take the plastic off. Uh, in areas that I'm not ready to plant something else, I might put two, three layers of cardboard down because cardboard is pretty good at suppressing things. And then you can actually plant directly through that and it's going to decompose and ah. break down. But, um, yeah, I, I'd, I, I'd, I would, you know, second what you have done so far. And, um, I, I think you've done everything right. I think about uh, four to six weeks of solarizing, uh, you're going to be beyond the problem.
14: Okay. I definitely have cardboard with all of the ordering that I've been doing instead of going out shopping. Uh, <laughs> I can I only imagine. Re- <laughs> I have some really thick cardboard, heavy cardboard boxes, so mm-hmm. I could use those. So so yeah. you think eventually, maybe like two months, take that off. Because I did oh, yeah. want to put some plants in there. I wanted to put something like maybe some lantana or something, something that's not going to overwhelm the yard. Right. Um Okay, so then I could use the the, the cardboard yeah, and, and don't and use plant. Yeah, don't use it.
2: waxed cardboard. I mean no, some things kind right, of but regular correct. thick heavy duty cardboard yes. it's it's a natural product, it's cellulose, it's wood fiber and um it's really very effective in stopping a lot of different invasive plants uh like what you're dealing with. And uh, I'd leave the black plastic on for a while. When you pull the black plastic off, I'm going to water it in with some compost tea. I'm going to put some dry molasses down to help improve the soil. But I'm going to put that cardboard down and leave it for an indefinite period. And when oh, I'm ready yeah. to plant, I'm just going to punch a hole through it and plant directly through it. And, <laughs> and remember yeah. to ask a few questions before uh, i'm also going to suggest oh. you stay away from Mexican petunia from japanese honeysuckle uh yeah, there no, the is things...
14: pe- they're growing naturally and i keep pulling them but they're not yeah. as bad
2: yes i uh, i agree with you there but they're uh, uh i love to hear about things that get too big but i hate to hear about oh. invasive things <laughs> but oh, you if know somebody we wanted
14: to circle their whole lot with it and have a, a uh-huh. big hedge it would be great of course it'll oh, go
2: yeah. right to the middle of the yard too. Right. <laughs> right. But there there are a lot of things. And acanthus is another one I would be very careful about planting. Uh even some of the salvias that tend to reseed, like salvia coccinia, especially the pink form. Just be sure you like it before you plant it because you're gonna be you're gonna be pulling the little seedlings for quite some time.
14: Oh, Yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds great then. I will do that. Actually, what I'm planning to do is in a few weeks, I will just go ahead and, and get a couple of plants and leave them in the pots until I'm ready to. And then I'll just put them over the black plastic and section so it doesn't look so ugly
2: and no, just leave be, them
14: there until I'm ready to plant mine. them. Okay.
2: You're a good gardener, Eunice. You keep up the good work, and uh, <laughs> glad you uh, glad you, you got to our area. And our soil, as long as you stay organic, it's never going to be like you had in South Carolina, like I had in East Tennessee, but it's going to just get better and better and better over the years, as long as you stay organic. And I appreciate you listening and calling. Look forward to helping you in the future.
14: Thank you so much, and keep up the wonderful <laughs> work that you do for us.
2: <laughs> well, it is my great pleasure, and I thank you.